Welcome back to the podcast. I'm excited today to talk about something that is dear to my heart. It's the theme of grace. Wow. I've heard so much positive and negative about God's grace among Christians. There's some kind of belief out there that that thinks you can teach grace too much. Well, I'm not one of those that believes that's possible. I'm not caught up in all these schools of thinking. I don't listen to ministers for purposes of defining how they believe about grace. But there seems to be just different schools of thought. But today I just want to share some scriptures and share what I really believe, what God has revealed to me personally, what I think. I mean, I can't teach what others teach or think. I can only share with you what I believe that I have found in the scriptures and through the Spirit of God and through experience. You know, I work in missions. I do mission work in Honduras. I mean, I'm living there most of the time. I come back and visit home for a month, a few months, and then go back. But uh, when I'm there in Honduras, because right now I'm in Kentucky, but when I'm there in Honduras, you know, I have one thing on my mind, and that is if I can evangelize If I can share Christ with somebody that doesn't know him, if I can teach somebody that proclaims Christianity that doesn't have love and joy and peace in their life, if I could try to explain to them what salvation really means, what eternal life really is, then I feel like I'm doing something for God. I want to be an example of it. But I believe, honestly, I'm saying all that because I believe God reveals things to us for for ourselves, for, for our work, for his work through us. And so with my call to missions, it's more evangelistic than some other calls. So when, when I'm a, a thinking in terms of evangelism and, and, and also in terms of influencing pastors and leaders and sharing my thoughts with them, I feel like God has pointed me strongly toward this message of his love and of his grace. So, If I sound extreme on grace right now, then it's just a call on my life. But because of that, there's a revelation, and that's what I want to share with you today. Because I believe one of our biggest mistakes as Christians is limiting God's grace. I mean, I don't think we want to, but we do it. And it happens for several reasons. We never intend to limit His grace, do we? I mean, what it can do in our lives. What is God's grace? It's His favor over our lives. It's His favor, His unmerited favor, His love poured out on us, on the world. Even when we didn't deserve it, didn't even know who He was, He did this for us. And I have a concern. I think that we limit God's grace more than we realize in our own lives. So how do we do this? Well, I think maybe it goes back to not understanding fully or more fully what he did for us on the cross. Did I mention my name was Tim Atterbury and that I'm a missionary to Honduras and that this is my podcast that you found if you just wandered across it? I'm glad that you came. Subscribe and you'll get all these others that I'm doing. Well, that was my plug, I guess. But anyway... Let me explain what I'm talking about here. Let's, let's dig into some scriptures. Because on the cross, Jesus gave his physical life. He physically died 
so that we could be free. In Romans 6, 17, 18, Paul says this, Apostle Paul. But thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching you were transferred to and have been liberated from sin. You became enslaved to righteousness. And in verse 22, But now, since you have been liberated from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit, which results in sanctification. And the end is eternal life. So, you see, according to Paul, we've been freed from sin by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, how did we receive this gift of righteousness in us? Well, Romans 4.4 4 says this, Now to the one who works, pay is not considered as a gift, but as something owed. But to the one who does not work, but believes on him who declares the ungodly to be righteous, his faith is credited for righteousness. Wow, did you, did you hear what that just said? Listen to this again. Listen closely to what this, wow. I'm, 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 it's speaking to me right now. But to the one who does not work, but believes on him who declares the ungodly to be righteous, God has, de- hallelujah, God has declared the ungodly to be righteous. And your faith is credited for that righteousness if you believe it. Jesus paid the price for our freedom. He paid the wages of sin for us. So did you get that? The ungodly are declared to be righteous. The ungodly declared righteous by God. How? 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 (laughs) Wow. Could I just... I'm probably going to have to edit this out because I'm acting so crazy at the moment. I mean, I want to run around and, and, and speak in tongues or something. This is a revelation, friend. <laughs> the ungodly declared righteous. Nothing you can do. Verse 16 tells us that It is according to grace. (laughs) You see, the Bible teaches that we are saved by grace through faith. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says this, For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works, so that no one can boast. I mean, how many times have you heard this? But is it speaking to you stronger today? Listen to what it's saying. You cannot and could never do anything for your salvation. You couldn't change your ungodliness, but God, He did. He did. He did through Jesus on the cross. Thinking these verses in Ephesians get to the heart of what I'm saying here, it's clear that through the Scriptures we're saved by the grace of God. The grace of God is the action of Jesus in His life, death, and resurrection. For this reason, some say grace is Christ himself. I like that. And it doesn't make sense to see Jesus as 
less than that. I mean, God's grace is Christ coming and dying. So it makes a lot of sense that Jesus is the grace of God. And after all, the spirit of grace is our teacher, is what the Bible says. And this is his Holy Spirit in us. Look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 9. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Therefore, I will most gladly boast all the more about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may reside in me. See, grace is what overcame our sin. Many of us are familiar with this verse and quote, His grace is sufficient for me. Haven't you heard a song? Oh, His grace is sufficient for me. Or we say, in my weakness, He is made strong. That's all true. But Paul continues with even stronger words. Listen to what it says. So that Christ's power may reside in me. The power of Christ comes from where? His grace. His grace is sufficient because its power resides in us and is perfected in us. I love how the writers of the New Testament agree once we understand more clearly the work of grace and how it comes to us. Wow, what a revelation it is to read all of the New Testament. John 1, 16, 17 says, Indeed, we have all received grace after grace from his fullness. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. One could argue God's grace has always been around since the beginning of time. But God's favor poured out on the entire world only comes through Jesus Christ. In this way, grace became the most important thing in our entire human history for all of humanity, past, present, and future. I want to dig into that, but I can't right now. But Jesus changed everything when he came to earth. So how do we limit God's grace? We do it by not believing in the full work of God's grace to us. So we have to ask ourselves, do we really understand what happened on the cross? Are we embracing the truth of God, that God is so loving that he sacrificed his only begotten son so that we could have eternal life. It's a gift of God that we can obtain eternal life. Jesus' blood was poured out as a sacrifice for the sins of the world. What does that mean? It means that when God sacrificed His Son, He did away with the sins of the world once and for all. You don't believe me? Does that sound complicated? Is that, is that difficult to digest? I know, I know, I know. I've, I, I've struggled, I've, I've been concerned, but I've let it go because it's not as hard to understand as we might think if we would just open our eyes and read the Scriptures. It may be hard to see in the natural realm, but our salvation is a revelation of a truth that Jesus set us free from sin. We teach it. We preach it. We live it. Do we live it? Hebrews 9.26 says, Otherwise, 
He would have had to suffer many times since the foundation of the world. But now he has appeared one time at the end of the ages for the removal of sin by the sacrifice of himself. Jesus removed sin from the world. How did he remove it? Well, the Bible tells us that he put an end to the law of Moses that revealed sin, and it required those under the law to sacrifice the blood of lambs for their sin, something God was never satisfied with. So in Hebrews 10, 7 and 8, it says, Then I said, See, it is written about me in the volume of the scroll. I have come to do your will, God. It's a prophecy. It's referring to a prophecy about Jesus. After he says above, You did not want or delight in sacrifices and offerings, whole burnt offerings and sin offerings, which are offered according to the law. He then says, See, I have come to do your will. He takes away the first to establish the second. I was just reading all that it says there. So God never was satisfied under the first covenant to offer animals as burnt sacrifices. So he established a second covenant through Jesus Christ. It's called the new covenant, and we experience it by being born again. Is that too deep for us? Is it too complicated when we have all these other things going on in our heads about how to live or right or wrong, our behaviors or whether we're saved or not? Always questioning, always criticizing, always wondering, always trying. When Jesus died and rose again, he reconciled the world to God. It's just up to us to accept it, to have faith, to believe it. 1 Corinthians 5.19 says, That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Wow, that that has become one of my favorite verses. You'll probably hear me quote that a lot. Because it's so clear what our message of reconciliation is, what we're supposed to be telling the world, pleading on God's behalf to tell the world that he no longer is counting their trespasses against them. We have to have faith and believe that his grace was enough. Feel the preacher coming on. Hallelujah. (laughs) The truth is that God took our sin away by sacrificing Jesus as the ultimate sacrifice, the final sacrifice. He was the lamb slain. Jesus completed the law, bringing an end to the sacrificial system, taking away the need for the law. Once he took away the law, he took away the transgression of the law because, Romans 14, 15 says it this way, for the law produces wrath. Hmm. And where there is no law, there is no transgression. He goes on to say in the next verse, this is the reason why the promise is by faith, so that it may be according to grace. It's a revelation, friend. Once Jesus was sacrificed, the new covenant was given. Remember at the last... Supper, he said, take this cup of the new covenant. It is the blood spilled for you. Luke 22, 20 says, this cup is the new covenant established by my blood. It is shed for you. And once the new and better covenant was given, it did away with the old one that was imperfect, according to Hebrews. It is true that Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy the law, but fulfill it. 
And in that way, he balanced it out. He did away with the system of sacrifices, and he really, he completed the law because the law reveals sin, but the other part had to be Jesus revealing salvation. Look, he completed the law by bringing us to this point of salvation. The old covenant revealed sin. The new covenant reveals salvation. The old covenant and its work was therefore done away with. Now, I'm not sure if you even think about it, but I've heard preachers preach both ways, and I can't, I can't condemn anybody for their understanding. of it. I'm just sharing what I understand right now. This is the way I see it, and this is the way it's reading to me. In Galatians 4.21, Paul talks about Hagar and Sarah. It's what I want to say about it anyway. I'm not sure why some try to keep the old covenant and the new covenant mixed together. I'm not sure why we tend to to mix up things of the Old Testament and the New Testament. There are clear things we can take from the Old Testament and need to live, but the New Testament is where we find life, and it's where we find and understand grace, and it's where we understand the truth through Jesus Christ. So Paul makes it clear. He says that Hagar and Sarah cannot live in the same household after using them in those scriptures right there to, to symbolize the old and the new covenants. So I suppose it's a lack of understanding of the full work of Christ when we keep both of them living in the same house. It's probably a podcast in itself. But anyway, freedom comes from knowing the truth, okay? I suppose that maybe some are weak in our faith and our understanding and some stronger in that. I felt weak, and I felt strong at times. But I believe that we are free from sin and death. So what does this have to do with the theme of limiting grace? Well, it's simple. The new covenant was God's grace poured freely out upon us, the unlimited love of God toward us. We only have to accept it by faith. If we accept that he freed us from our sin, it's, it is what becomes our saving power, the grace of God. It's received in us by our faith. And we, at that point, understand he's taken away our sin. I don't, I don't know what happens to us after that. Somehow we try to pick it up, I guess. But this is a gift of God that we're freed from our sin. Whenever we put limits on grace, we're limiting our faith. Our faith in who Jesus is and what he can do in us. And I suppose this is where many of us fail to realize that it's not just grace we live in, but we live by our faith in the justification that came with grace. It was Paul who said, the just shall live by faith. So we have a role. It's not just God's grace, but we have to believe, trust it, trust in God's favor over us that he took away our sin through Jesus. Many times I've heard and have been guilty of saying things that limit the work of God. You may not believe we can limit the work of God, but Psalms, the book of Psalms, chapter 72, it says the people limited God because of their disobedience. We can limit God in the new covenant by not having faith. Remember, the only time Jesus was limited in performing miracles was when there was unbelief among the people in his hometown. You know, Since unbelief is the enemy of faith and unbelief is sin in our new covenant, 
We must be careful about how much we allow faith and grace to rule or not rule in our lives. See, unbelief is the reason people are in darkness and cannot be born again. This is according to Jesus in John 3. Unbelief is also the reason many have fallen from grace. If we don't believe we are in Christ, that only leaves us with the belief that we are in Adam and therefore ruled by sin and death. Paul mentions obedience to faith at the beginning of Romans and at the end of Romans. I think they're there for a reason. In Hebrews 12, verse 28, it says this, Since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us hold on to grace. By it, we may serve God acceptably with reverence and awe. See, to go back to Mount Sinai is to go back to following commandments and doing sacrifices. It was a work-based covenant, performance-based covenant. We are now in Mount Zion with a new covenant, a covenant of faith, a faith-based covenant. We're not required to perform a certain way to receive this grace and faith. We accept it and walk in it as revealed by the Spirit. It will produce, as these scriptures say, reverence and awe in us. Now, I know I just dropped a lot of information on you. Hallelujah. But let me get to the final conclusion and bring it all together if I can. There is no record of your sins, not even your good or bad. God is not interested in your performance, and he loves you and knows that where sin abounds, grace abounds that much more in your weakness. Grace is made strong. The blood of Jesus, he spilled it, is more than able to heal, deliver, and to save. You can't ever do enough good to make it happen. It's already done. You only have to do one thing. Believe that the cross was big enough to do it. And trust God, and you may just receive a miracle in Jesus' name. Miracles come as signs to us and those around us. They serve God's purpose and not ours. Wanting healing to feel better may be more selfish than we think. (laughs) Wanting to be healed to be God's messenger of grace and faith in this world might be a better way to think about it. Oh my goodness, how many times do we want healing so we can feel better? Let's change our thinking. We want to be healed so that we can deliver the gospel to the world. Amen? Don't limit God's grace. When we put limits on His grace, we're putting limits on His love. When we disassemble God's nature and are left with pieces of religion, customs, traditions, void of truth, that's what I call a washed-down gospel. Don't limit God's grace. Set it free in your life by faith. Trust in God with everything that is within you. Love Him. Trust Him and freely receive His gift to you that frees you from sin and death. And as I always say, faith works through love. So put your faith in the love of God. Put your faith in the grace of God and let it happen in your life. Let freedom, let liberty happen in your life today. Today. 